At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Friends, if you were with us last Sunday, you know that we began a new sermon series looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 2 through 4. Uh, this series is, is talking about the, a briefing that we need on the mission that God has called us to. And we began 2023 talking about how God is preparing us for a mission. Well, now we're talking about what that mission actually is. And if you were with us last Sunday, you know that we talked about how our mission is to follow Christ and to spread an, a knowledge of him everywhere we go into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our school, into our workplace, around the world through world missions. We, we follow Christ and we spread an aroma of the gospel everywhere we go. That is the, the purpose for which we were created. Well, today we're going to continue this discussion of being briefed on our mission as we look at part two of this series in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 3. Now, as we prepare for that, I want to ask you the question, what do you think a pastor would consider the win of ministry to be? What, what is the win of ministry? Now, I, I say this as we were thinking about that, we might think of this in other contexts. If you, if you went to a coach at the University of Oklahoma and you said, what does it look like for your team to win this year? They might talk about living up to our potential or they, they would talk about winning a conference championship or even winning a national championship. Those would be the kinds of things they would say. And so I, I asked the question, if you are thinking about what it means to be a pastor, what do you think a pastor would say is the win in terms of ministry? Well, as you think about that, there's a number of things that we might guess. We might think that, that winning in ministry means a larger church, more attenders, a bigger building, more programs. We might think that it is something to do with, with more power or authority or loftier titles or a bigger budget. But friends, those are not the things that would make my list. And they're not the things that would make the list of the Apostle Paul either. And they're not the things that would make the list of the staff and the elders at Wildwood. And so you might be now wondering, well, what is it? What, what would Wildwood, what would the scripture, what would the Apostle Paul say is the win in ministry? Well, we see this in 2 Corinthians. It's interesting. Paul said in, in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, he says, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. Notice what Paul says there. His, his hope, his desire, his dream is to glorify God by the Corinthians, those among whom he ministered, for them to live into the purpose for which they were created. You see, every person was created on purpose and for a purpose. And when we live our lives with that understanding... According to the purpose for which we were created, we experience an unbelievable joy and peace. We were created, friends, in the image of God to follow Christ unto eternal life, but here and now spreading the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. Paul said, I long and desire 
for you to experience the joy of living within the purpose for which you were created. And friends, I would echo that sentiment. Paul further describes this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, when he says to the Thessalonians, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. What Paul was saying was, as, as we follow Christ, two things will happen. Our faith in God will increase. We learn more of God. We learn how great he is, and we trust him more and more with more and more of our lives. And in the process of doing that, we will grow in our expressions of love towards one another. This sounds an awful lot like the great commandment, doesn't it? We will love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, our desire and Paul's desire was that we be a people to the glory of God that are being transformed as we follow Christ. That our understanding of God is growing and growing and growing and we are believing in him for more and more things. And at the same time, our expressions of love for one another are also increasing. This is our desire. If you want to talk about a dream scenario for me, what I'm trusting God for, what I'm praying for in our congregation is that we are a group of people that are growing and our lives are being transformed in Christ. Now again, this is not my idea. This is an idea that, that God has set before us in a perspective that was modeled for us through the Apostle Paul. And today, as we look in part two of this series, in just four short verses, chapter two, verse 17 through 3, 3, we're going to see him describe a little more about this dream and desire for lives to be transformed in Christ. And so I want us to look at these verses today. If you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. I'm going to read these four verses for us, and then after I read them, I'll back up and we'll make a couple of observations about the life change we long to see happen in the church. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17 says this, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You, are, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, friends, in these four verses today, I want us to see two things, two very important and encouraging things, a perspective on church, a perspective on ministry, a perspective on life change. So what do we see? Well, the first thing we need to see is this, Jesus changes lives. That's an important enough statement. We need to say it together. Would you say this with me? Jesus changes lives. So Jesus changes lives. Where do we see that in these verses? Well, we need to remember the context of what's happening in the letter to the Corinthians here. See, Paul had experienced some opposition in the church in Corinth. He was being criticized we know this by looking at the context of the whole letter. He seems to be responding to various critiques and criticisms. Now, what was it that they were criticizing? Though we can't know for sure because Paul never 
illuminates it directly. By what he does say, we can gather a number of different criticisms that Paul was probably experiencing from the church in Corinth. One criticism might be that Paul had some hard stances. In other words, there were some opposing ministries in Corinth that were going up to the church in Corinth and saying, you can't listen to Paul. All he ever does is tell you hard things. I mean, he's very critical of you in different ways. You know, one of the things they might have said is, you know, Paul talks about don't make these factions, but that's just because he wants you in his camp. He's not really pursuing unity. He wants control. They were criticizing the hard stance he had for unity in the church. Or maybe they were, they were talking not about that hard stance, but they were talking about how Paul confronted incest in the church in chapter 5 of his letter in 1 Corinthians. And they might have said, wow, he sure is in our personal business. How dare he do such things? And they would criticize that hard stance. Or they would, they would talk about how, you know, Paul is all against these, these liberal expressions and appropriation of these spiritual gifts. Why is he trying to control or why is he trying to guide in some way? So they were critical potentially of the hard stances that Paul was taking. But it's also possible, friends, that they were questioning his character. If you've been with us this year, we saw a few weeks ago how Paul's plans had changed. He said, I want to come to Corinth, and then he changed his plans, and he sent them a letter instead. And apparently, Paul was being criticized because of that, saying that he was kind of flaky, that he couldn't be counted upon, that he was unfaithful because he said one thing and he did something else. And so they were questioning his character. But also, they, they wanted to highlight his hardship as if to say, friends, Paul is experiencing all kinds of trouble. Why would you want trouble like he's got? And Paul, no doubt, in his letter to the Corinthians, is quite clear that he's been persecuted and beaten and thrown out of a number of towns around the Mediterranean as he followed Christ. But remember, how did Paul respond to that criticism? He, he said, I'm being persecuted. Why? Because I'm following Christ, and it's an aroma of death to some. And so Paul understood his persecution as evidence of his following Christ, but his opponents were trying to argue the opposite. Why would God allow his servant to be mistreated so? So Paul was experiencing some criticism from some opponents in the city of Corinth. But not only was he experiencing these criticisms, but also his opponents were, were doing two things that Paul wasn't doing. They were doing or had two things that he didn't do or have. The first of those things was that Paul's opponents were watering down the truth for their benefit. They were watering down the truth for their benefit. Now, we see this in verse 17 that we read a few moments ago. Paul says, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Now, what comes to mind when I say a peddler of God's word? What do you think Paul was talking about? Well, this word peddler is actually a word that is not used all that often in Scripture, but in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it is used in another place to describe some wine merchants in Jerusalem who would take their wine and they would dilute it with water so they could sell twice as much of it and double their profits. You can imagine this being a, a, a person who had you know, 32 ounces of wine who added 32 ounces of water to it and they were able to make twice as much money by selling 64 ounces. Now, as they did that, who would benefit? The seller of the wine. 
right? They, they did this for their own personal gain. But who would lose? The person who bought it. Because they thought they were buying the real thing when in fact they were just getting something that had been watered down. What Paul was saying is he says his opponents in Corinth were taking God's word, they were taking the truth about Jesus, and they were diluting it. They were watering it down. They were not sharing it in its full strength and glory, but they were mixing it with other things. They were monkeying with the truth. And when they did that, who would benefit from it? Well, they would. You can imagine a scenario where if they could avoid persecution by saying that Jesus was a really good guy instead of God, they might say Jesus was a really good guy instead of God so that they would avoid the beating. If they did that, who would win? Well, maybe the person that avoided the beating, but who would lose? The people to whom they ministered who were now being sold a lie, trying to be passed off as the truth. Or you think about that with any other number of ethical issues. If they want to say, well, God doesn't care about your sexual life at all. Maybe that was a lie that they were trying to purport. Well, if they were to do that, it might gain them some favor. It might grow their audience in some way. But that would only benefit the speaker. It would not benefit those to whom they were ministering because he were, they were being sold a lie. So Paul says that his opponents were peddlers of God's word. We'll talk more about what this would mean for us in a moment, but they were peddlers of God's word. But Paul's opponents also were people that had letters of recommendation. They had letters of recommendation. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, who are the some here? His opponents in Corinth. Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation? Apparently, Paul's opponents in Corinth, these other ministers, they had letters of recommendation. We might think of it in our day like diplomas. They had a diploma. In other words, the people of Corinth might go, are you qualified to teach these things? And they would say, look at our diploma. Look at the university degree we have. In that day, it wasn't so much university degrees as, look at this letter. These are very important people who signed this who said that my ministry is legit, so you need to shut up and listen to what I'm telling you. That's basically what was happening in the city. There, there were these letters that they were trying to use to validate their ministry in some way. Well, if these were things that were going on among Paul's opponents, how does Paul respond to those two things? How does he respond? Well, as it relates to this issue of truth, it's interesting that Paul responds by saying, I, I am not watering down the truth, but instead I am sincerely pointing people to Jesus. I'm sincerely pointing people to Jesus. Look at what he says. We are not. Paul says, I am not. Timothy is not. Titus is not. Like so many, like my opponents, who are watering down the word of God. But he says, instead... We are men of sincerity. As commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul said, my job is to sincerely introduce you to the real Jesus. Not the, the made-up version of Jesus, not the watered-down Jesus, but real Jesus. Paul said, my responsibility in life is not to change this message and draw a crowd, 
Paul says, my message is to follow my Savior and spread everywhere I go a true knowledge of Christ. Sincerely, Paul said, that was what was in his heart. And this comes because he was commissioned for this by God. In other words, this wasn't Paul's idea. This was God's idea. It was not his privilege to change it. And he said, I do this in the sight of God. I, have, I, I give an account to God for my ministry. I, I must be truthful in what I am proclaiming. And he says, I'm speaking in Christ. I'm sharing with you as Jesus would share. Paul says, it is my desire. It is my mission. It is my calling not to introduce you to a version of Jesus that is more palatable to you, but to introduce you to the real Jesus that you might follow him. Now, this is where this is so significant, friends, and so important for us to see. If we begin to water down the truth, and we begin to change the truth in some way, who are we making followers of? Not of Jesus. We're making followers of us. We're making followers of us. And, and guess what? We don't have the ability to change lives. If our goal is to draw a crowd, dilute the message, and fill the seats. But if our goal is to transform lives, oh my word, friends, we can't do that. But there is one who can. It is Jesus and not us that changes lives. That's why it is incredibly important and absolutely critical for us as a church and for us as, as ministry to, to do it as faithfully as we can, imperfectly though it may be, as faithfully as we can, sincerely to introduce you to the real person of Jesus Christ. Because it is Jesus and Jesus alone that can transform your soul. See, we, we live in a, in a day and age that wants to it's a temptation for churches, it's a temptation for ministers, it's a temptation for followers of Jesus to change our message so that it fits in, believing that we will increase our audience and that is our goal. We believe that we, we shouldn't speak the truth of what God says about things like homosexuality or abortion or any number of other topics because we believe if we just change the message, we'll win the conversation, we'll grow the room, but the reality is, friends, our goal and our mission is not just to grow the room. Our goal and our mission is to follow Jesus. And as we follow him, to invite others to follow him as well, because we believe that it is Jesus, not us, who's going to change their lives. So we must introduce them to the real Christ. And so we see this laid out. Paul says that he is spending his life sincerely pointing people to Jesus. And if we want to influence people and see their lives transform, friends, we need to make the same commitment. Sincerely, before God, commissioned by him, we speak of Christ, the real Christ, the real Jesus, the full Jesus of Scripture. So Paul makes this point. But the second thing has to do with the letters. And, and the point I want to make is that the, the Corinthians were Paul's letter, and we'll get there in a second, but I, I want you to know that Paul was not a, opposed to letters of recommendation. He wasn't. Paul actually wrote a number of them. The, the letter to Philemon, that little, little small letter in the New Testament, actually was a, a letter that, of, of recommendation that Paul wrote. He wrote to Philemon, and he said, my friend Onesimus has come to faith, and you need to treat him like a brother in Christ and not as a slave. It was a letter of recommendation. It was a letter of commendation. 
We see Paul do similar things in other letters where he commends Titus and Timothy or Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2 to different congregations so that they would receive them as ministers who were working with Paul in those areas. But Paul himself, friends, did not have the recommendation like he gave for Titus when he, when he said in verse 23 of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, as for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. Paul had no one who spoke about him in that way. He had no letter of commendation in his hand. Now, later, later on, Peter would write in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the words of Paul are like the words of Scripture. Now, he did say that they were hard to understand. So it was this, this letter they wrote, but he, he, he made this letter of commendation. But the letter of 2 Peter was not written for 10 years after the letter of 2 Corinthians. So Paul had no letter in his hand. But that didn't matter. Because Paul was saying, my letter is not in my hand. My letter is in your lives. That's where the letter is. It's not in a diploma. It's in the transformation that has happened in the lives of the Corinthians. He says in verse 2, you yourselves, Corinthians, are our letter of recommendation. You yourselves are our letter. The Corinthians were a letter confirming Paul's identity as a true minister of the gospel. Now, what was he really talking about? Well, it's helpful to remember what was going on in Corinth. Paul planted the church in Corinth. Before Paul came to Corinth, there was no church. There were no Christ followers. But Paul showed up with his team, and they began to share the gospel, and people began to respond. And listen to how he describes the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, or, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This was the description of the Corinthian church before Paul came there. The, the individuals who made up the church, this was their description before the church was planted. But Paul came and he preached the gospel, and many of them believed. And so he could say of them, such were some of you. This used to be you, Corinthians, but it's not anymore. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Their lives had been transformed and no one could deny it. Paul said, you think that I'm bogus? Then, then, then what are you? Paul says, I showed up and I preached the gospel and your lives have been radically changed. That's not an accident. It's an evidence that God has been at work. Paul says that the proof of my ministry... It is not that I have a letter from the first seminary of, of Antiochus or whatever, right? It's not that. It's that your lives have been changed. That's what, that's what Paul says. He says that's the proof. That's the, the validation. I, I love what Kent Hughes says about this. He says the church in Corinth was an open letter of Christ to the world, a declaration of his power and love for the whole world. The Corinthians were saying, where's your letter, Paul? And Paul says, oh, friends, the letter is in your hearts. The letter is in your lives. They have been transformed. And this letter of transformation in the congregation is read by all that the world might look onto the city of Corinth and say, if God can save them, he can save anyone. It was an authentication of 
the fact that God was at work through Paul and his team. And so we were reminded, friends, that Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives. The real Jesus, not the watered-down version, but the real Jesus, as we follow him, he longs to transform our lives. If Jesus is transforming lives, let me, let me ask you, is he transforming yours? That's, that's what he longs to see happen. More and more, every way and in, in every area of your life, that you, as you follow Jesus, that he will bring about transformation in your lives. For some, that needs to begin by trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and, and beginning this journey. But know that once you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, it won't stop there. You will be following Jesus, and he desires to transform your life day by day, moment by moment. Jesus changes lives as he transforming yours. Tony Evans makes this comment. He says, if, if no one's life is being changed at a local church, then the ministry taking place there lacks validation. A church's goal is not the installation of nice carpets and comfortable pews, but the life-transforming work of producing kingdom disciples. Our goal is to facilitate God's extreme makeovers and the spiritual transformation of his children. Friends, this is what our desire is. This is what our hope is. And, and friends, I could tell you, as somebody who's been here for 22 years, I look around the room and I see lives that have been changed in Christ. Don't you want to be a part of a church that is transforming lives? Don't you want to be a part of a place where, where it's, it's normal for lives to be transformed because your life is being transformed and others, and what an attraction that might be for others? in our community, that, that, that their life has is, is, is got some darkness to it, some, some lack of hope to it, a lack of peace, that they might look to this place and say, friends, there, there's something that God is doing. That is a place of transformed lives. Friends, that's, that's my dream. That's what I would pray for for us, that we are a place of transformation to the glory of God as we follow Christ. So Jesus changes lives. But guess what? Jesus uses you to change lives. Jesus uses you to change lives. Now, we, we see this by looking at verses 2 and 3. And so I want to walk through verses 2 and 3 to see a number of things that, that will help us to understand a little bit more about what Paul is saying here. The first thing I want us to see is that people are, are living epistles. People are living epistles. He, he says in verse 2, You yourselves are our letter, known and read by all. Now, what was Paul talking about? The word epistle is like a Bible word, right? We might go, what does the word epistle even mean? We see that, you know, the epistle to the Corinthians or the epistle to the Ephesians. Well, the word epistle, it means that, that it was a letter. These were all letters that were exchanged between Paul or Timothy or whoever and a specific individual or congregation. But what makes it an epistle is that it was always intended to be read publicly. The audience was bigger than just whoever received it. So that makes it an epistle. That's the idea of an epistle. And what we see is that the Corinthians and their transformation and, and, and us as we gather here today, God's desire is to transform us so that others might be able to read our lives and understand that we serve and follow a great God. We are a, a letter that is written for public display to remind the world around us that God is not dead and retired, but is active and alive. He's at work in us. 
Now, after mentioning that people are these living epistles, Paul says that they are written on our hearts. Now, whose hearts? Whose hearts? This is a letter, and, and many letters would be written on papyrus or, or, or some piece of paper, parchment of some kind, a scroll. Paul says that this letter of commendation is not written on a piece of paper. It's written on hearts, but whose heart? Our Paul. It was on Paul's heart. It was on Paul and Titus and Timothy's heart that this letter of commendation was written. In other words, Paul gained strength from knowing that God had transformed the lives of the Corinthians. When Paul was tempted to doubt his calling, when, when, when Paul was tempted to wonder if he was on the right path, Paul could look to these letters that he carried always in his heart that were filled with the names and the stories and the lives of the people that had been impacted through his ministry. And he drew encouragement from those things. Now, what's the advantage of a letter that is written on a, on a heart and not on a piece of paper? Philip Hughes talks about this in a helpful way. He says, this is a letter engraved in his heart, not flourished in his hand or carried in his luggage. It is something far more intimate than an external document of paper and ink. And at the same time, far more permanent. It cannot be forgotten nor mislaid. Paul said everywhere he went, he was encouraged because what had happened in Corinth. That was a letter of commendation. That was a letter of encouragement. And friends, let me just tell you, if, if you have ever been used of God to impact someone else, whether they came to faith or they were encouraged, are their names and stories not written in your soul? If you pause and turn off the TV long enough, you can see their faces, you can remember their stories, you can be encouraged in that moment. Amen? This is what God does. The changed lives, he, he writes those names in the hearts of those that minister to them that we might be encouraged of God's presence and involvement. Not only do their lives get changed, but we experience the encouragement of that written in our hearts, but written by who? Well, written by Jesus, written by Jesus. You know, Paul doesn't say, I did, I did, I did, I did. No, no, no. He says, this letter of transformation has an author, and that author is not me. That author is Jesus. Changing lives is above the pay grade of any minister. That is not something that they can do. And if somebody is ministering, whether they're doing so in a vocational way or whether they're leading a small group or a Bible study, one of the foundational things we need to understand is that we are not strong enough or powerful enough or clever enough to change anyone's life. But Jesus is. He's the one who is authoring this story of transformation. So what's our role? Well, friends, our role is that we're the pen. We're the pen. Think about this. It's, it's as if Paul says when he says that this letter is from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It's as if Paul says, we are like a pen that is dipped in the inkwell of the spirit that God's transforming truth might be written in the souls of men and women. Now that is a powerful thought. It's a powerful thought. That's what God wants to do in and through us as we minister in his name. 
He's the one that's authoring the story. His spirit is the one that is bringing about this change. But we are like the pen that sees this message written. And when he writes it, he writes it not just in some external religion, some external set of principles, but he writes it on our hearts that there might be, as we sang earlier, change from the inside out. Written not on tablets of stone. What was written on tablets of stone? Charlton Heston went on the mountain and came back with what? Ten Commandments, right? So he's, what he's saying is, he says, there was a time where God provided rules, where God provided commandments. But what God does in Christ and the change that we're talking about is not adding on top of people more rules. It's transforming their souls. It's writing on their hearts. And this is an indication of something we'll see next week as we look at Jeremiah 31 tying into the end of chapter 3, seeing this new covenant ministry that God wants to work through us. But friends, we need to be encouraged and, and reminded that God really is able to not just use us to tell people they ought to do this, that, and the other thing, but God truly is able to change the hearts and lives of people. So if Jesus wants to use us to change lives, how do we, how do we respond to this? A couple of things. One thing I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to, to think about this week the ways that God has changed your life and give praise to him. Just what are things that have changed in your life? Think about those things and give praise to him. But after you think about how God has changed your life, I want you to think about what instruments God used to change your life. Who were the people that God dipped in the inkwell of his spirit and wrote on your soul his transforming truth? And then what I want you to do is I want you to, after you give thanks to God, I would love for you to write a letter or, or uh, uh, send a text or an email or whoever it is to, to someone that God used to change your life. You know, it might be a Sunday school teacher from long ago that you need to track down this week. It might be a, a, a youth ministry leader or a, a campus minister or it might be a church staff person, or it might be somebody that led a small group or a friend at work that encouraged you in Christ. I want you to think about who it is that God has used in your life, and then I would love for you to reach out to them. And here's why. You realize that if, if God used them to write a message in your heart, guess where your name is found? In their heart. And when they get that note from you, you know what it will do? It will encourage them to continue the work of following Christ and pouring out into others. So reach out to someone this week and encourage them that they were an instrument that God used in your life. And then also, if God uses us to change lives, I would just challenge you, who does God want to work in around you? How, you can be the instrument as well. How does God want to use you in the lives of others? And who might you reach out to to introduce or to connect to the full Jesus. You might say, well, I don't know the full Jesus. Guess what? I don't either. He's better than I know. I know that. He's better than I know. But what I do know about Christ, I want to encourage everyone to get to know. May we be a church that does that because our desire is to be a place of transformation. And who does the transforming? Not us, but Jesus. 
pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to, to look into your word today, be encouraged by it. I pray, dear Lord, that, that you would have us be a group of people who do not water down who you are, but we lift up the full and glorious Jesus as we know you and invite others to, to follow him. And Lord, that, that as we do so, that other lives might be transformed and that our lives might be transformed as well. Thank you for the people that you have used, dear Lord, to change our lives. We pray that we might be able to express thanks to them in prayer as well as in letters this week, that, that they might continue the fight and continue to follow you. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.